0: I love the way the composer Taylor Brooke builds tension in that piece. It's a short movement, only a couple of minutes long, but uh, the tension at times is, well, I wouldn't say it's unbearable, but uh, you're, you're really curious to know what comes next. It's, it's a marvelous little narrative. The movement is called Lament. It's from a wider work called El Jardín de Senderos que se Bifurcan, or The Garden of Diverging Paths, which is a story by Jorge Luis Borges. Uh, One of his most famous stories, it's inspired a lot of composers, but I love this setting by Taylor Brooke. It's a great performance by the Mivos Quartet, and that's off of an album called Garden of Diverging Paths on New Focus Recordings. Welcome to Relevant Tones. I'm Seth Bostead. Today is the second in a two-part series featuring music released on New Focus Recordings. I'm going to return to that piece because I I love it. I've been listening to this string quartet uh, the last couple of days and just really getting into this sound world of Taylor Brooke. Uh, Again, for me, it's the dissonance, it's the tension, and in release, uh, there's a kind of narrative quality, I guess not surprising since it's a story, although it is Borges, which is not a normal narrative structure by any means. Uh, But nonetheless, I I find this piece quite fascinating. So we'll return to it by way of uh, some other wonderful releases on the New Focus Recordings label. And I got to talk with Dan LaPelle, who is one of the founders of New Focus and uh, the person really handling the nuts and bolts the day to day uh, these days, (laughs) responsible for most of the releases. Uh, Last week, we talked uh, more about how New Focus got started, uh, the origin story, as it were. But uh, this time around, I was curious more about uh, the, the specific focus of the label, how he sees exactly the services that they're rendering for the artists that they
1: represent. We want. I wanted to try to be somewhere in between self-release and a more full service type of label situation uh, and offer artists. And it's almost sort of like an a la carte thing. Like some people want new focus involved more in the process, like in the design process. And some people say, well, no, I'm, I've got my own designer. I know exactly what I want to do. And I'm just going to send you the final files. And if the, if the project seems right and we've, I feel like we can get behind it, then that works too, you know? Um, so that was, that's was that been an interesting continuum too of, for me, something that started as very much like a creative project that I had total agency over with a couple of colleagues to recognize that, okay, this is probably gonna be better for the future of the label if I'm not dogmatic about needing to have that same level of control over all the projects. And I and I don't. Like I I'm I'm involved in some of them in a production capacity and as a player obviously. Uh and in others like as an advisor, but there's plenty that I'm not really involved in at all. And we're really just providing a service to get these these great recordings out to a sort of community of listeners and critics and DJs, you know, like we've been in touch over the years about this stuff, uh, who feel like there's some shared sensibility between these these records.
0: How many projects a year would you say you're putting out these days?
1: I think it's between 40 and 50, but we also now, we have like a, a handful of sub labels or imprints. Um, so when I say 40 or 50, I'm counting those sub labels. If, if it's just the new focus catalog, it's probably, it's more like 30 35 probably <laughs> which is still really still a lot <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you know but it's sort of uh i mean the, the the label landscape and the releasing recordings landscape has really just sort of imploded or exploded i don't know <laughs> the right word but it's every every possible scenario and combination of factors that you can imagine is out there somehow. You have labels who are only putting out stuff that they actually do in-house with a studio they own, like Sona Luminous, right? It's like everything that Sona Luminous puts out is recorded uh, by those guys, almost all at their studio in Virginia, though sometimes they work at other studios. But in a way, that's their business model. It's more about the production side that they charge for, and the label is just about getting it out. And then you have, on the total other side, you know, labels like, uh, Parma or Centaur, actually maybe Parma is not a great example. I think Centaur is a good example. Like all they really do is accept submissions and release the record and, you know, charge a fee for it and have an advertising budget that comes out of that fee. And so it's very, very much just a label business. It's not really creative, you know? Um, and we fall somewhere in the middle and, and different projects are different. So, to say like there's 35 things coming out in a year, but they're not all, uh, they don't all represent the same amount of sort of creative work that comes in from the label and there's a whole different, a lot of different scenarios, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think probably that, I mean, that number might be high in the last two years and this year particularly, uh, because a lot of people, when they didn't have gigs to play focused on finishing recordings that ha- they had not been able to get a re- back around to for a long time. And so we just got a lot of material coming at us this year. Mm-hmm.
2: That um, makes
1: sense. Yeah. Which, you know, it was good for me because I, the other part of my career totally dried up. <laughs> so. All
0: right, let's go a totally different direction from the Mivos Quartet album that I opened the program with and featured an album by Colin Hinton, who is a percussionist and uh Oh, gosh, a composer, uh, kind of a, a free jazz, but but a, a highly structured free jazz person, if that makes any sense at all. I love this album, Simulacra. I've been listening to it quite a bit over the last week. I'm going to play a track off of it called Sinistopy. And uh, I'm just going to look at the, uh, looking at the program notes here. I just want to read a little bit of it. So uh, it says, Simulacra, the record, convokes in its capture an affection for the mentors, community, and the lineages within which Hinton situates himself singularity is that which is inexpressible yet yearns to be expressed it empowers affection and in so doing generates simulacra it is this singularity driven affectation from which this simulacra emerges and to which it necessarily returns <laughs> It's a piece called Synesthopy. I think it's a, a made-up word. It sounds like Greek. Uh, sinus, as in synesthesia, of course, we know. I don't know about Thopy though. I looked it up as a suffix, as a Greek suffix, but couldn't come up with anything. So I suspect it's one of those words that sounds like it should be a word. If you Google Synesthopy, you just get this piece by Colin Hinton. <laughs> so uh, I, I like the sound of it. The album is called Simulacra, and uh, it, it's kind of my new favorite album. I, I, I really uh, enjoyed it hearing this over the last week. So we heard Anna Weber, we heard Yuma Uisaka, we heard Edward Gavitt, and we heard uh, Sean Lovato and Colin Hinton himself as well. I was saying that his music is this kind of free jazz, but, but structured free jazz, and I, I think that tune Bears me out. Uh, There's a sense that everybody is improvising and and, uh, expressing themselves, but always within defined uh, limits, defined or circumscribed uh, parameters, which I think uh, works very, very well. Let's turn to a chamber work by Robert Hanstein called Lip Service that is inspired by spam email, uh, not not the, uh, the, the quasi-food, but, uh, but actual email uh, back when we were still, you know, 2010, 2011, when we were still kind of uh, intrigued by spam. And, uh, and it always sounded, you know that it was generated, but it was just plausible enough you could believe it was from a person, perhaps, In the program notes, Rob says, Lip Service is the third and final set of instrumental pieces based on lines excerpted from a collection of emails accidentally received by my friend Jeffrey K. Miller. As with the other two sets, why are you not answering? And is it Auburn? Lip Service takes its starting point from the strange emotional worlds implied by the extracted lines. For Lip Service, the first email, better find those little blue pills if you plan on giving her more than lip service is a letter of advice sent to Jeffrey from an unknown friend. The second email, halfway, is in fact the entire email. It refers to a meeting point halfway between Jeffrey and the woman's home. As far as I know, the meeting never took place. The third email, I am hidden, my dear, for you, perhaps explains the failed meeting, but we cannot be certain. Those are some tongue-in-cheek program notes if I've ever heard any. (laughs) Um, I'm gonna play the piece halfway or, or the movement halfway. Music by composer Robert Hanstein. The piece is called "Halfway," <laughs> with four question marks. Uh, part of uh, part of several pieces that are one of several pieces that he's written inspired by these emails that a friend of his got. Of course, uh, we've all gotten a lot of emails. Now I get robocalls. I may have to write a piece inspired by the robocalls that I get. Uh, at any rate, I-, I love that work. It's off of an album called "Reu," music of Robert Hanstein. And uh, just another example of the kinds of things that New Focus is putting out. Let's return now to the Mevo's Quartet album that I opened up the program with, and this piece, The Garden of Forking Paths, by Taylor Brooke. Uh, But first, I asked Dan about this album because he considers this album to be a kind of landmark in the development of New Focus.
1: There was a moment where I sort of remember it fairly clearly, where instead of only people who were sort of one or two degrees of separation from that sort of initial core of people who were on the first say 10 albums. Uh that I started to get submissions and pitches from people that were outside of that core, right? Um and I think Mivos was one of them. Talk ensemble playing Taylor Brooks music was ecstatic music was the name of that record. That was another one. Uh and I guess that's the moment where I felt like, okay, there's a, some some idea of this label that's gone beyond just friends talking to friends. That's got at, gotten out into the community, and now is it presents a sort of curatorial uh, question to me, right? Like, is this does this fit? And and uh, sort of man- managing and navigating that question. So I th- I feel like the mivos Quartet album uh was a fairly good representation of that and it's it's a really great album it's it's like a pretty hardcore album you know it's like a non-compromising sort of in-your-face new music record uh and it's great you know i i remember being excited about the record when i got it and also i guess a little bit unsure what is that is that what like how, how what were the factors that contributed to that record coming to us and thinking like okay this is going to be so, like a good home for it you know um i think i might have traditionally associated that kind of record with like a mode like a mode records release or maybe new world or maybe carrier like i think it might have been like a sort of a, an important transitional album in that putting it out signaled to other people making similar music that oh okay there might be like an openness to this kind of thing at this label it's not like we weren't associated with with sort of avant-garde music yet but maybe it was the specific community of composers that was represented on that CD and the, the kind of aesthetic that they were tied to it hadn't sort of made the connection yet in terms of people who were paying attention to that kind of music.
0: Let's head back to this piece, Garden of Diverging Paths by Taylor Brooke. We're gonna hear the second movement, pedals, with a D, P-E-D-A-L-S, and then strumming. And uh, this music is complex. It, it is, absolutely. But what I like about it is, uh, again, this quality of tension and, um, well, occasional release. <laughs> there's often There's often tension throughout both movements. But I love the way that the composer is, uh, is creating this atmosphere. The music, uh, to me at least, is, is uh, unique. He creates a, a sound world that is, is pretty instantly identifiable. So here's the Amoebas Quartet again, two more movements of Garden of Diverging Paths by Taylor Brooke. music from taylor brooke from the garden of forking paths uh this uh, wonderful short story by jorge luis borges that has inspired this uh, this focused concentrated music uh that, that i love very much that's the Mivos quartet performing we heard movement two pedals and then movement three strumming each movement is a is a self-contained universe i, I could imagine any of them being performed alone. Uh, they're a little bit on the short side, but uh, I think they would all stand up on their own pretty well. All right, let's head to a piece now uh, called Sheila 63 by Dmitry Tymoczko, And this is from an album called Fools and Angels that uh, I know I say this all the time, but uh, it is one of the most eclectic albums that I've heard. It's uh, wonderfully diverse. Uh, the different things that Dimitri is doing. Uh, Sheila 63 is the result of a collaboration between Dimitri and novelist Dexter Palmer, who is the author of The Dream of Perpetual Motion. And it's scored for three sopranos and a chamber orchestra. There are five songs with three interludes between them. They trace the rise and fall of a robot consciousness trying to escape a mundane, service-oriented existence. The text, which is suffused with religious imagery, seems to invite parallels with working conditions in contemporary society, dramatizing the conflict between the inherent dignity or transcendent potential of an individual and the demoralizing tasks that often constitute the 9-to-5 workweek. Uh, this is before COVID, of course, but I suppose you can still be demoralized. Uh, when working from home. (laughs) Uh, The piece calls for a certain degree of freedom from the instrumentalists, both in the songs and in the largely improvised interludes. Quarter tones and off-kilter harmonies evoke the machine's unsuccessful struggle to masquerade as a living, thinking thing. It's a lot like spam, isn't it? I love this work, uh, Sheila 63. I I really, really enjoyed this piece. We're going to hear the first two movements. The first is called Introduction, and the second your head.
2: The next up. movements from the
0: piece Sheila 63, another piece in which uh, we're imagining text here from uh, artificial intelligence. I'm assuming it was Robert Hanstein. That wasn't a real person who was writing those emails. Uh, we have time for one more work. And uh, well, first of all, it's appropriately named. It's called Closing Time. And secondly, it's by Ryan Strieber, who is one of the co-founders of New Focus. So it seemed like a great way to go out. And this, fe- this uh, features flexible music. Uh, an ensemble that Dan Lapel is part of as well. For relevant tones, I'm Seth Bosted. Thanks so much for listening.